2: This is Colorado Edition from KUNC. Our state is seeing a surge in demand for COVID tests, along with a surge in hospitalizations. On today's show, we'll examine where the demand is coming from and how clinics are working to meet it. We'll also hear about the reopening of a COVID recovery center in Boulder. And we'll visit a mural in Denver that celebrates the artistic abilities of people who are incarcerated. That's coming up. You're listening to KUNC's Colorado Edition. I'm Erin O'Toole. Earlier this month, Loveland resident Debbie Bendel started to feel sick.
0: I had this little cough and a runny nose, and this isn't the time of year that I get allergies. And I started wearing a mask again a couple months ago, so I thought, well, I'm not getting exposed to the cold, so
2: maybe I have COVID. So she went online and tried to find a test. First, she tried the local health department, which only had appointments once a week at a time she couldn't go. Then Walgreens, which advertised free tests. But when Bendell logged on to register, she hit another dead end.
0: And then this little window pops up and just says no appointments. And that's all it says. No appointments. Like not check back tomorrow, check back next week. We're closed forever. Nothing. It just says no appointments. So what do I do with that?
2: So I didn't do anything. I just went about my usual life. She wore a mask and went out grocery shopping, but mainly stayed home out of precaution because she never got tested. Each day she was sick, she grew more frustrated.
0: Mainly, I would, I would identify the emotion as anger because, you know, we're closing in on two years of this. And the last time cases were surging last winter, was easy to get a test.
2: Bendell reached out to our show last week to ask what's going on with the state of COVID testing in our communities. So we asked KUNC reporter Matt Bloom to look into this for us, and he joins us now. Hi, Matt. Hey, Aaron. So in short, what is going on? Simply, our demand
3: for testing in Colorado right now has skyrocketed over the past month. Providers are overwhelmed. Some residents are having trouble finding appointments. If they do find them, they're having to wait several days to get a test and then results are taking another several days. So it's creating a frustrating situation for some people in our state like Debbie. According to data collected by the Colorado Department of Public Health and Environment, we're seeing our highest daily testing level since last winter. Uh, We've actually seen a 30% jump in the daily number of tests since last month alone.
2: That's a pretty significant jump, but I'm wondering why is this happening now? It feels like we should have this kind of down. Why were providers caught off guard at this time?
3: It's really a combination of factors. Over the summer, demand for testing fell to its lowest point since the start of the pandemic, which led local health departments to then scale back their offerings. But once the Delta variant arrived and cases in the state started to jump, so did demand for testing. I spoke with Emily Trevanti about this. She's a laboratory director with the state's health department.
2: People have changed their behavior as the fall has rolled on. Kids have gone back to school, activities move indoors. Uh, People are in closer contact and have more opportunities to come into contact with each other and potentially transmit the virus. Um, There's more desire for people to get tested.
3: More employers and schools are now requiring testing as well, which is also contributing to this demand increase. Trevanti and other providers I spoke to say that they don't expect the demand to drop significantly anytime soon. So a lot of folks might be in the same situation for a while.
2: Right. Well, clearly there's a need for more testing and more locations where residents can get that test. So how are state and local providers responding?
3: The biggest change we're seeing is the opening of more drive-through testing sites. And people may have noticed them in their communities already. Just in the last couple of weeks, the state's health department has opened about a dozen new community testing sites. They include Fort Collins, Loveland, Greeley, Longmont, and other Front Range, Plains, and Mountain communities.
1: Just like every nasal test, it will still tickle. Might make you wanna sneeze, cough, just try your best. Not I
3: got to stop by one of the sites in Fort Collins just to get a better sense of what it's like. It's in the parking lot of a local church, and when I got there, Uh, It was a lot busier than I expected. There were several dozen cars in line.
4: I mean, as you're looking at right now, there's obviously demand We're backed up pretty far.
3: John Dutro is the site manager. He says by talking to visitors, he's found that there's just a lot of exposure in the community right now.
4: I know people are scared of whether, you know, they've been exposed to somebody who's tested positive, a family member, a friend, Someone came through a little bit ago for, I mean, like a Bible study. So things like that um, just makes it, uh, you know, definitely the exposure makes it a little scary for people.
3: The two sites in Larimer County, one in Loveland and the one in Fort Collins, are doing about 500 tests per day on average. And statewide, our capacity has jumped up to around 30,000 tests per day with the new clinics opening, which the state's health department says is enough to meet demand for now.
2: I'm curious if you talk to anyone at the site about their reason for getting tested now.
3: Yeah, I talked to Fort Collins resident Eric Fredericks, who actually rode his bike through the drive through clinic. He's a nursing student at Front Range Community College, which is requiring students to get tested even if they're vaccinated. He says he was pretty happy with the process. Yeah, it was
4: pretty easy. Um, You know, there's a lot of advertisement uh, among us students. And so, yeah, just come on out here. I just got done with class. So come on out here, get it taken care of. And it's nice that, you know,
5: the government's paying for it.
3: With the new state-run clinics, one thing to note is you don't actually have to make an appointment. You can just show up. And if you do, you just have to provide your name and some contact information to get your results, which is what Fredericks did. Um, And he says he hopes to get his results in several days.
2: Well, going forward, do public health officials feel like we have the infrastructure to deal with this increased demand for testing?
3: They do. And they're hoping that these new testing sites especially can help alleviate some of that bottleneck that some residents have been running into. Uh, They do expect the need to stay pretty high, though, so um, what I've heard is flexibility is key. Maybe we'll need more sites, maybe we'll need a little bit fewer as we move into the fall and winter. We just don't know yet. They hope that booster shots, too, once they're readily available, will help keep case numbers under control so we don't need... a ton of new testing sites, for example. They say if you do need a test for travel or if you are feeling sick, it's best to plan ahead and be patient. Um, If you're having trouble finding a slot near you, there's a long list of providers on the state health department's website. And as for the resident who reached out to us, Debbie Bendell, just to follow up on her, we chatted and she says her symptoms have subsided, which is great, but she's still just feeling frustrated at what she sees as a slow response to testing demand. So she hopes that the next time she needs to look for a test, she can find an appointment more easily.
2: KUNC reporter Matt Bloom, thank you so much for looking into this. Thank you, Erin. As Matt just mentioned, state health officials are hopeful that COVID 19 booster shots will help keep case numbers under control. Governor Jared Polis on Monday said Colorado was ready to distribute booster shots for COVID 19 vaccines as soon as the Federal Food and Drug Administration approves them. This comes after two top FDA officials quit earlier this month. The officials cited concern about the Biden administration pushing an aggressive booster rollout plan before it was approved by the agency. Polis said he's prepared for approval to come for the Pfizer vaccine as soon as next week. Approval for Moderna and Johnson & Johnson is likely to be at least a few weeks out. Third doses of COVID-19 vaccines for immunocompromised and elderly individuals have already been approved by the FDA and available for months.
4: We made it so Coloradans could simply self-report their conditions. You don't need to have a doctor in the middle of it. You can. Your doctor may give you a note, but you don't need to. You can simply say, I have a weak immune system. And uh, that uh and, and therefore you need the shot and and we now have 2.4 percent of adults who've got a third dose uh, including my 77 year old parents and i'm very grateful for that
2: Pola said there's some data available on how immunity to COVID-19 wanes over time after being fully vaccinated, but more data is still needed. Scott Bookman, the state health department's COVID-19 incident commander, reaffirmed that the state is ready to roll out booster shots while acknowledging they'll still be trying to persuade those residents who still haven't gotten even a first dose.
3: We still
4: have 25 percent of the eligible population who has not been vaccinated. Uh, As the governor said, as I have said, as Dr. Hurley has said, we cannot overemphasize the importance of this vaccine, how safe, how effective, and how it is the key to us ending this pandemic. We will continue to do all that we can uh, to move that 25% number smaller uh, to to get those who are hesitant to, to get this safe and effective vaccine.
2: Listening to Colorado Edition from KUNC. Earlier this month, the City of Boulder reopened its COVID 19 Recovery Center, or CRC. Located at 3845 Stanford Court, the CRC gives unhoused individuals who have tested positive for COVID 19 or who are experiencing symptoms a place to recover. Back in June, when COVID rates were going down and vaccination rates were going up, the CRC closed its doors. But with the recent surge of the Delta variant, the site reopened. Kurt fernhaber is the Director of Housing and Human Services for the city of Boulder, and he is with us now to tell us more about COVID recovery for people experiencing homelessness. Kurt, thank you for joining us. Sure. Tell us a little bit about the history of the Boulder COVID Recovery Center to get started. Where did the idea come from, and what kinds of services were you offering?
4: So we initially opened it on the uh, 20th of March, 2020. And if you can remember back then, you know, that's when COVID was really um, getting started in our community. And we were very concerned, particularly around individuals experiencing homelessness and the the vulnerability for them with COVID. So we were looking at ways to uh, get individuals who at that point were symptomatic because we didn't have testing at that point on a daily basis, we got volunteers to do symptom screenings every single day for every homeless individual. And at that point, anyone who had symptoms were transported straight to the CRC. And that's been pretty successful in keeping people there so they don't spread it throughout the
2: community. Absolutely. That's a very ambitious um. You know, undertaking as well. I'm wondering what the process is like when people walk through your doors. How do you get individuals the treatment they need?
4: When they arrive at the CRC, those who have tested positive stay on one floor, and those who are awaiting a test stay on another floor. And every day, the Medical Reserve Corps has a volunteer who's either a doctor or a nurse who comes each day, check on each of the individual's to make sure that they are recovering okay and if they do need additional medical support or treatment then they're transported to the hospital.
2: Now Kurt when you first closed at the end of June what happened to the people who still needed your services?
4: Uh, each of the decisions we make we, we are in coordination with public health and at that time the the population of individuals that we were serving was actually quite low, and we would we went through two or three weeks with not having um, any individuals even staying there, and so it was we couldn't really justify having um, sort of volunteers and staff on call 24 hours a day, seven days a week, and, and not having any individuals to support. And at that point, it looks like it looked like we were like the CRC wouldn't actually be necessary. But what we did do is um, implement a temporary um, uh, version of this um, in case we did have anyone who, um, who tested positive. So we uh, made an agreement with a, a hotel up in Longmont to host up to five individuals. And then we had uh, staff who would stop by and check on them a couple times a day. About two weeks ago, we started to see an uptick in the individual staying at the hotel And it was pretty clear that the hotel wasn't going to be able to serve the capacity that we were seeing. We started to see a number of individuals testing positive. Um, One individual was sick enough to have to go to the hospital for their COVID. And um, things began to
3: spread.
2: The rise of the Delta variant, no doubt, was a factor in reopening the CRC. Um, Was that a kind of a joint call between housing in the health department. And and then I'm also curious what the CRC looks like now in comparison to uh, the early days last year.
4: So the executive team who oversees the CRC has representatives from my department at the city, as well as Longmont and Boulder County. And then uh, Boulder County Public Health um, has a representative there that gives their perspective and advises. And so Public health actually made us aware of their concerns, and um, so that sort of started this whole conversation. One of the things that um, we're quite fortunate about is the location of the CRC. It's in the old Mount Calvary Lutheran Church in South Boulder, and that property was purchased by our housing authority, Boulder Housing Partners, and it's going through a process where it will be redeveloped into affordable senior housing. Um, But right now it's an empty facility and it happens to be designed incredibly well for this kind of use and has a lot of different rooms where we can isolate individuals and they can have their own space. It has, you know, showers and bathrooms and we're able to provide food for them, you know, three meals a day and tea and coffee as they need it. really sort of exceptional service to make sure that they feel comfortable during the time that they're there.
2: Well, that kind of leads into my next question, uh, which was, you know, I imagine some people at the CRC have worse cases of COVID than others. Uh, and how are you able to provide the appropriate services to each individual while avoiding, you know, becoming a large outbreak?
4: Yeah. So the, at the very beginning, when the CRC was opened a year ago in March in 2020, the CRC worked very closely with us in in setting up policies and procedures for how those interactions would occur between staff volunteers and the individuals who are staying there. Um, Opening up the second time um, last week, luckily all those things are still in place. Since we opened in 2020, there hasn't been any staff or volunteers who have worked at the CRC who have gotten COVID. Mm -hmm. So we feel that those protocols that we have followed have worked quite well.
2: Well, I want to ask about your work in South Africa. Uh, This is Prior to being in Boulder, you worked to develop affordable housing there. Uh, You also directed a health organization. And that combination just feels so relevant during a pandemic like this. How has your prior career sort of informed your work with the COVID Recovery Center?
4: It's been very helpful. Um, The the work I did in South Africa for over 10 years was actually an an organization that worked in, in public health. We ran HIV clinics circumcision programs, cervical cancer programs, um, family planning. But the thing that was, was most helpful is our organization there ran South Africa's effort to support treatment of Ebola in Sierra Leone. So that gave us or gave me um, a lot of experience in setting up sort of public health initiatives very quickly, understanding how you support the staff, which was a big thing in Sierra Leone with Ebola, which was highly contagious, and um, ensuring that staff are both mentally and physically able to conduct that that difficult work was very important.
2: Lastly, uh, for anyone who doesn't know what navigating the pandemic looks like and feels like for people experiencing homelessness, what would you like them to know?
4: One important thing that I think our community should understand you know, some people think that they're homeless because they don't work hard or they have mental illness or they, they have an addiction problem. And all of these things could be true. But one of the things that I like to say is someone who's experiencing homelessness can come from any home in any community. And it's it's not those people, but it's us individuals who are experiencing homelessness they are they are part of our community so it requires that we really take a community approach in addressing their concerns in boulder we've really taken a housing first approach in years past different communities would take an approach around homelessness of simply building shelters providing food and and sort of emergency services the challenge with that is that doesn't help people get out of homelessness If they do have a mental health challenge or an addiction challenge or getting a job, they can't work on those things if they don't have the stability of housing first.
2: Kurt Fernhaber is Director of Housing and Human Services for the City of Boulder. Kurt, thank you so much for speaking with us today.
4: Sure. Thank you.
2: Overcrowding, mandatory minimums, and privatization are all issues that have long plagued the prison system across the U.S. But another, perhaps less talked about issue, is the inability of inmates to make a livable income while they're incarcerated. Buck Adams is a veteran, an entrepreneur, and a person who was formerly incarcerated before founding the organization Art for Redemption, which aims to help inmates by promoting the artwork they make while in prison. Colorado Edition's Alana Schreiber recently met up with Adams in Denver. They went to a gravel lot near 38th and Chestnut Place behind Blue Moon Brewery, where he showed his recently completed interactive mural that calls for prison reform and celebrates the artistic abilities of those who are incarcerated.
1: Back in 2018, Buck Adams was making less than $10, not per hour or even per day, but per month.
5: I created a yoga program and became a yoga teacher, and they gave me $7 a month for that. But that, I mean, that wouldn't even buy a book of stamps.
1: That's because Buck Adams was serving time in a Colorado prison, and of all the difficulties and disparities he encountered, the inability of inmates to make a livable income is what stood out the most.
5: So I really kind of saw the hardship of what it would be, um, and to open that conversation up of, you know, why wouldn't we want these gals and gals that are paying their penance through their time in the system of either creating a savings account, paying their restitution, paying their societal debts. If they have child support, being able to actually participate in that. If it's broken apart, a family uh, being able to not just be a constant drain on the family with phone calls and you know putting 50 bucks on someone's book, uh, books every month so that they can get a jar of peanut butter and a pack of tuna so they don't have to eat what I would say is barely edible food.
1: So once Buck got out of the system after about a year and a half, the lifelong entrepreneur started the organization Art for Redemption.
5: So our main mission, what we're trying to do is incite reform in other prison systems to allow inmates that are currently incarcerated to make money through their creativity or, you know, um, if you can use the prison sentence to teach something else and learn new skill sets or to have something else to fall back on, it would reduce recidivism rates greatly.
1: And in order to draw attention to this mission while expressing his own creativity, Buck created an interactive mural on Chestnut Street next to the Blue Moon Brewery in the Rhino District of Denver.
5: So the mural itself is um, a map of the United States with the Statue of Liberty running down the middle of it that is a collage of artworks of um, about 400 different pieces. And um, bars are overlaid on top of that, basically um, kind of locking up Lady Liberty in the United States.
1: But this mural is more than what meets the eye, literally.
5: What's unique about this mural, it's one of a few in this area that are actually interactive. So there's a code that you need to, or an app that you need to download, and then it kind of scans like a code that's, I guess, to make it a similar, uh, like a Q code, but it's not a Q code, it's called a Zap code. And what that does is it starts to interact with your phone to an augmented reality piece. So the bars are actually made up of faces and self-portraits and names of all the artists that are in the artwork itself of the collage of Lady Liberty
1: and once you scan the artwork with your phone and the faces pop up on your screen, a video begins.
5: The first aspect to the video that comes to life is you start to see the faces and self-portraits come to life inside the bars, and then it goes to a typewritten message of mass incarceration plus the mandatory sentencing plus the privatization of prisons has, you know, equals the world's largest prison population, which we have in the United States now. Lady Liberty in the United States is the land of second chances, the land of freedom, all these things. But if you've been uh, attached to the system in any way, it becomes very hard and um, almost that you don't have a second chance.
1: Buxy's art is more than just a method of expression it's also a catalyst for conversation.
5: You know, through the ages, I believe, art has always helped bridge the gap between different realities or different segments of humans to, you know, open up the conversation that we're all human. We all make mistakes, some worse than others, some get caught, some don't, some pay bigger penalties. Um, It's the forgiveness part that really comes down to why we're all human. And so, being able to express oneself through art when you are looking for a way to do time. Um, You know, a lot of these artists are what are considered outside artists, which means self-taught artistry. And so to take that time that they're doing to hone a skill that some of it's incredible. Um, I think why wouldn't we celebrate that a little bit as far as humans all together and try to make some of these changes on reform of, of not only mass incarceration and mandatory sentencing and privatization of prisons, but I think all that is we're seeing does not work and it's a very broken system. So, you know, hopefully we can bridge the gap and open up some of those conversations and, and connect that we're all are human.
1: For Colorado Edition, I'm Alana Schreiber.
2: That's our show for today. Tomorrow on Colorado Edition, we examine a pair of carbon emission reduction policies that are at the center of debate for the future of Colorado's carbon economy. I'm Erin O'Toole. Our production team includes Henry Zimmerman, Tess Novotny, Alana Schreiber, and Ray Solomon. Brian Larson is our executive producer. Thanks so much for listening. This is Colorado Edition from KUNC.